Uh, Sometimes we find ourselves in the desert because God has led us there for something better, healthier, holier on the other side. We're going to talk more about that for the rest of this series. That's, that's, that's what a lot of, of this series has to deal with. Lastly, sometimes we find ourselves in the desert because the desert finds us. This is the reality of living in a broken world. Uh, there are hurts and pains and sufferings that just find us through disease, through other people's actions, through the product of natural disasters, those kinds of things. Uh, today, we move from chapter 15 into chapter 16. Chapter 16 the Israelites, we'll see, uh, have now been in the desert for about a month and a half. So it's getting real, right? This is no longer a fun little jaunt through the sand, right? Um, They are in the desert, and they're getting hungry. They've moved past thirst. God's provided them water. Now they're getting hungry. And we're going to sort of walk through the 16th chapter together, stop along the way, and see what God is saying for us uh, today in 2018. Um, So, beginning in chapter 16, verse 1, the whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you, you, God, have brought us, or you, Moses and Aaron, you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The word of God for the people of God. We're going to stop there for right now. Um, now, that's that, the one thing I love about the Old Testament is it paints a very realistic picture of life, right? Um, it, it paints the people as complaining and honor. It paints the leaders as being flawed and, and human. Um, and so we're going to stop here right now and talk about this, this sort of uh, mindset that the Israelites have where they would rather have died in Egypt than have been brought out into the wilderness for this sort of unknown promised land that they're pretty certain isn't going to come anyways. They're probably just going to die out here of hunger. At least they had food back when they were in chains in Egypt. There's a book uh, by Daniel Kahneman called Thinking Fast and Slow. Has anybody read this book? It's a fascinating book. It's been out for several years at this point. Um, it's a fascinating book about how we process different types of information, how we make different types of decisions. And, and one of the concepts he lifts up in this book is this idea of loss aversion. It's the sort of psychological uh, behavior that, that most of us subscribe to where uh, basically he, he paints this picture. He says, um, we would feel worse about losing $5 then we would feel good about gaining $5, right? All things being equal, the loss would hurt more than the gain would feel good. Does that make sense? And, and, and he says that this, this is sort of a novel uh, terminology that he uses, um, but he says that, that we make decisions a lot of times based on this loss aversion concept that we are so scared of losing that we'll not take the risks necessary to see the gains that we'd like to have in life because we're scared of losing uh, that $5. We, we won't take the risk to gain the five because the loss hurts more than the good feels good. Yeah? And, and that, that concept was sort of playing through my brain as I was thinking about the Israelites because here they are literally wishing they were back in chains and slavery in Egypt. This is not like them wishing they were back home, right, where it felt, oh, remember the good old days back in Egypt? Like Egypt, their time in Egypt was thoroughly terrible. They were enslaved. They were beaten. We've seen the Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> We've seen Charlton Heston. This is not a rosy picture, they're acknowledging, yes, you know what, what we had back there was bad, but, but out here, now we're, we're, we're going to die of hunger. At least back there, if God had just killed us, we would have had full bellies. See? 
We are more terrified of what we stand to lose out here. We can't even see the fact that God's leading us to a promised land. We're not even noticing that God's trying to lead us to something, some great, wonderful alternative, because the risk right now feels too great. And you know what? I'm so hungry. I think I might just die. It makes me think for my own life how many times I am like the Israelites, where I operate by this loss aversion sort of mindset, and I would rather have something bad that is known than to risk for something good but is risky, right? How many times would I rather have something bad that is known than actually take a chance and have something good that might be risky? And, I, and so I say, yeah, you know what, I, I might be in chains, I might be in Egypt, I might be in slavery, I might have no say over my life, I might be worked to the bone every single day, but I've got bread, so there's that. I don't want to lose that. Even if I gain a kingdom, I don't want to lose that. Would we rather have something bad and known or good but risky? This is an important thing that I, I play over for myself. This, this can apply to work life. This can apply to personal life. But there are times when I think God is begging us to take a step out into something yet where, yes, you might lose something. When you wander in the wilderness for 40 years, there's a good chance that you might not make it. But you stand to gain a kingdom, you stand to gain the promised land, and you're willing to throw that away because, well, at least we had bread back in Egypt. And here's what I want to say. I don't think that, that um, complaining is a bad thing necessarily. You know, I, uh, this chapter frequently will talk about the, the Israelites and their grumbling and mumbling. And yes, there are plenty of times when we need to work on, on our complaining attitudes, and we need, to, we, we need to try to adopt a more positive outlook. Um, but I also think there is something to be said for what God does next as they meet God, and as they meet Moses and Aaron with this complaining attitude of, hey, what gives? I'm starving. Are we going to die out here or what? Like, God, uh, we're, we're not going to survive this, are we? Um, there are times when I need to cry out to God and complain a little bit, and I hope that God would meet me in the same way that God meets the Israelites, uh, picking up in verse 4. So let's keep reading. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for, all, for that day. In that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, God says, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So um, another kind of concept, we're going to stop there for now. Another concept that, that, that kind of came to mind for me this week was, was Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're getting psychological today. Isn't that fun? Um, if you're not familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think we've got it where we can put it on the, on the screens. It's, it's this idea that, that um, humans have this sort of ascending uh, set of needs where until the one at the bottom is met and the one above that is met, then you can't really work up that ladder, right? So the, the baseline of needs is physiological needs, and it looks like we've got to cut off a little bit, but but basically, I, I need to have food, I need to have water, I need to have shelter, I need the things to survive, literally to make it through the day. And it goes up from there. Then we have safety needs, personal security, employment, uh, et cetera, love and belonging, friendship, intimacy, family, esteem, respect, self-esteem, status, recognition. And then finally, self-actualization, desire to become the most that one can be. This is like you have reached existential nirvana up, up there, right? Um, the Israelites are at the base bottom end of this pyramid. And it's fitting that we're talking about pyramids with the Israelites leaving Egypt, right? Um, they don't really care about their identity. They don't really care about esteem or love and respect. They care about food and water. Where am I going to sleep tonight? How am I going to survive the next 24 hours? That, that's where they are. 
And that's where they cry out to God. That's the, that's the place that they're crying out to God from. You know, we say that they're complaining and mumbling, but I can imagine these people having not eaten much at all for a month and a half. Right? Can you imagine the kind of physical condition they're in? Where they truly believe they're days away from starving to death. This is not some sort of, you know, well, I haven't had a meal for a few hours, I'm getting hangry. You know, it's not that simple. These are people who are going through severe malnutrition. God, how are we going to survive this? And God meets them in this place. And, and he, noticed, he knows that, that before he can establish them as a nation, certainly before he can even communicate clearly that, that he loves them, he needs their basic need of food and water and shelter to be met. He knows that before that gets addressed, Nothing else is really going to be heard. So he meets them in that survival mode kind of place. Have you ever been in a place where you just needed to make it through the day? Like, have you ever been brought low on that, on that pyramid? And like, you're not thinking about self-actualization. You're not thinking about your purpose in the world. You're not thinking about how much your colleagues respect you. What's my legacy going to be? You're like, how do I make it through the grocery store without talking to literally anybody? Because I might end up a viral YouTube video if anybody approaches me right now. You know, I can see the headlight right now. You know, watch what happens. You'll never believe what this mediocre 30-something does to the cashier at Kroger. Right? I've had days like this where it is all I can do just to make it through the day. Am I alone? Have you had days like this? Did you have one like this this past week? Did you cry out to God? I think sometimes we're afraid to cry out to God in those moments because we think we're being selfish or we, we think we're being needy or complaining or mumbling. I think God understands exactly where we are. I think God understands exactly where we are, that sometimes we just need to make it through the day. God, I don't need you to shower me with blessings. I don't need you to, to fill my 401k. I don't need you to pay off my mortgage. I don't, I don't need you to give me purpose and clarity for my vision for the rest of my life. I need you to help me make it home without killing somebody. Have you had a day like that? Can you embrace a God who doesn't shame you for having days like that, but understands that there are days where we are simply in survival mode, and God wants to meet us in that place? And, and, and look at what God does with the Israelites. He meets them in that place, but he doesn't leave them there, does he? He says, I'm going to give you food every single day, right? I'm going to meet that basic survival mode place that you're in every single day. But, did you catch the but? On the sixth day, what's he say is going to happen? They're going to go out and collect twice as much. Oh, well, that's kind of nice. Yay, I get to collect twice as much. He says, I'm, you're going to collect twice as much for a specific purpose, not so you can eat an extra large meal that night. You're going to have the same meal you always have. You're going to survive on day six. But then day seven, I'm going to create for you a Sabbath. I'm going to give you an excuse to rest because your needs have been met before the day even began. You had it prepared the day before so that when you enter into that seventh day, you can move up one step on that pyramid. You don't have to think about survival. Just for one day a week, you don't have to think about survival. Do, do, do we see what kind of a gift that is? It's not just bread. It's more than that. God is allowing them to take just a baby step beyond survival mode. Just one day a week so that maybe they can sit you know, when, when God says Sabbath, he doesn't mean this is the day to go clean your house. This isn't the day to go out and do all the yard work. This isn't the day to catch up on your email. 
This isn't the day to do that, blah, 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 blah. When, when, when God talks about Sabbath, he means full stop rest. Sit and be for just a moment, for just a day. And then what's going to come to mind for them? As they sit and they rest and they eat their bread. And they can start to process questions like, who am I? What has God done for me? Who is God making me to be? How can I be more faithful? How can I be more loving? What, what is this promised land that God has prepared for us? Now, now, you might be saying, Scott, that's kind of ridiculous. I don't think it's ridiculous. I think if you give someone an entire day to do literally nothing, well, your brain starts to churn. And if your survival needs have been met, then maybe you can think about something other than food for a second. And maybe over time, over maybe the course of, I don't know, 40 years, <laughs> you might begin to really understand who you are and why you're here. Let's keep reading. We're going to skip sort of the middle of the chapter because it gets a little repetitive and it talks about the food they go out and collect. Uh, we're going to pick up again in, in verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. It's just a portion. Uh, when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. And so they did so. Um, they put it aside until morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not become foul and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. You know, in, in the book that David Kahneman wrote about this loss aversion theory, he says it's, it's rooted in really our biology coming from a people who thousands of years ago lived in a subsistence way where, you know, every single day was a challenge to survive. Every single day you were thinking, how am I going to eat? Where's my water coming from? What's my shelter's condition? How am I going to survive the next 24 hours? You didn't have a fridge. You didn't have a way to preserve foods the way that we do today. So you went out and you got what you needed for that day every single day. And so in a way it's hardwired into us to think more about what we're losing than what we're gaining in life. It is interesting, you know, in other places in the chapter, it talks about how even on that seventh day, people still went out to try and find food, but there was none, because God's trying to break this cycle of thinking about what I'm losing. God's saying, I'm going to give you enough to be able to have a Sabbath day of rest, to have an actual day of rest. I think God knows that survival mode is not something we can stay in forever. If you've been in survival mode for a really long time, you know what I'm talking about. And so, some of us, survival mode looks like kind of coming to a halt. That's my stress behavior. I hermit off. I tell my colleagues, if you see my door shut and my headphones in and, like, the door's even locked, like, I'm super stressed out. If the door's open, I'm like, hey, come on in. Like, I'm feeling great. If I invite you in the office, then, like, Scott's on cloud nine. But you know when I'm not feeling well because the door's shut and the headphones are in and I, I just need everything shut out for a second. Um, some of us, that's how we behave. Others, though, when we find ourselves in the desert, what do we do? We get busy, really busy. Who's an overachiever when they find themselves in the desert? When you're in survival mode, you overwork, you overdo. I'm going to do everything all the time, always, because I think if I run fast enough, hard enough, long enough, I might make it out of this. Y'all, the desert's big. And it's easy to get lost. Last week, I talked about a guy who got lost in the desert, ended up 130 miles off the course of a marathon. It is easy 
to get lost in the desert. And sometimes God is begging us to just find a way to come to a rest. You might say, Scott, how do I find rest when I'm in survival mode? I, I can't even imagine taking a day for myself. Great, I don't either. Like, I can't imagine taking a whole day for myself. That sounds fantastic, but it doesn't exist. But Sabbath, the concept of Sabbath absolutely can exist. Maybe Sabbath for you is an afternoon. Maybe it's a morning. Maybe it's late at night. Maybe it's two hours, one hour. Maybe it's 30 minutes. Maybe it is a prayer, a a, a 15-second long prayer that you can pause and say throughout the day to just give yourself a moment, just to give yourself a moment. Because there are seasons in life when, no, you're not going to be able to take a day for yourself. It is Father's Day after all. Fathers, can I hear you? It's hard to find a whole day to take for yourself on a weekly basis. You can't do what you do and do that, but you can absolutely take a Sabbath rest. Why am, I, why am I hammering this point so much? Because I think in order to make it through the survival mode place of the desert, in order to make it through this wilderness place, we have to get real about rest and self-care or we will never survive. We don't talk about self-care as much as we should because we're high-achieving professionals. I know who I'm talking to, North Dallas. It's okay. We don't value self-care. But let me tell you, you, you will never make it to the promised land if you don't stop and pause and consider who am I? Who is God? Why does God love me? What is God about? What is God's plan for my life? Why was I put here? What, what, what is this whole thing about? If we don't begin to get real about those questions, and you cannot get real about those questions while you're answering emails, while you're driving and drinking coffee and putting on makeup, driving down Highway 75, you can't. It's not going to happen. can't do it. Those kind of questions take time. They take space, they take stillness, they take silence. They take allowing things not to get done for a moment. Your life is not going to spin out of control if the laundry doesn't get done. I could be wearing dirty clothes right now, you don't know. (laughs) If you got closer, you would. It's okay to hit the pause button, especially when you're in survival mode especially when you're in survival mode because these questions are necessary and they take time and they take space. What they also do for us when we allow ourselves to to find that position of rest and we give thanks to God in that moment of Sabbath, it allows us to begin to switch our thinking from survival mode to abundance mode. Now what am I talking about? I don't think any of us would think that the Israelites lived in abundance in the desert. Right? Do you think that? doesn't sound like it to me. They're eating manna. Do do we know what manna is? Manna is this like really gross, unleavened, flat, just kind of, kind of crunchy, but not crunchy enough, right? If that makes sense, right? Like it's like, it's just the, it's just the worst. It'll keep you alive, but it's not winning a food network competition. No one's going to go to Gordon Ramsay like, this is my manna, you know? Like that, that's not, it's not what it is. It's, it's the, if we served it to you for communion, you would complain. That's what manna is. Um, none of us would think of the Israelites as having lived in abundance, but when you're in the desert, and you can go out one day and get two days worth of food instead of one, are you thankful? Are you grateful? When you're resting on that day, you say, I can't believe God gave me this day to rest. Now, in what In in a normal situation, you wouldn't think sitting for a day and eating manna was a beautiful thing, but when you're in the desert, it's a beautiful thing. I think what God is doing for the Israelites as well is making them rethink what abundance looks like. Before they can make it to the promised land, they got to understand what it's like to give thanks over manna, right? 
You're not going to get handed the keys of the kingdom unless you understand what having just an extra day's worth of food really means. And so when we talk about counting our blessings, you know, it's sort of a, a, something you'll hear in church a lot. It, it's not this simple exercise of going through and saying, you know, look at these amazing things God did in my life. There are some days when I'm counting my blessings by saying, God, you let me get out of bed this morning. You gave me, the, you gave me two good legs to stand on. You, you gave me a job when I know I've got friends who are unemployed. You, you, you gave me a body that works pretty well most of the time. It's working worse now I'm in my 30s. God, you've given me a beautiful family. God, you've given me a roof over my head. You know, a week like we've had this past week, I mean, I'm looking at families and I'm thinking, my blessings count a little bit differently this week. Do they count differently for you? I think when we're brought into the desert and when we are allowed to find some rest and when we give thanks to God for that rest, we'll begin to find ourselves adopting a a more grateful spirit as well. Because it's really easy to think about all we don't have when we're in the desert. But if we can even be given 15 minutes, give God thanks for 15 minutes. If God can give you an hour, give thanks for an hour. If God can give you food and water, give thanks for food and water. The chapter closes with this. So after the people rested on the seventh day, the house of Israel called this, this substance, this bread manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. There, that's some revisionist history. It does not taste like wafers with honey. It's got this wonderful honey aftertaste. He's selling it to Gordon Ramsay is what he's doing. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let the portion and omer of it be kept throughout your generations in order that you may see the food with which I fed you in the wilderness. So remain in this position of gratitude when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put a portion, an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the covenant for safekeeping. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a habitable land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. They ate manna for 40 years. 40 years. If I have tacos one day and you say, hey, let's get lunch. I say, what do you want to get? And you say, let's get tacos. I go, I had that yesterday. I don't think I want tacos today. They ate manna for 40 years. Now, if they had been in Egypt and, and God told Moses, Moses, go before the Hebrew people and tell them, I will lead you out into the wilderness and we shall eat manna for 40 years. Would they have gone? Would you have gone? You're like, no, nah, I'm good. So good. They got tasty bread here in Egypt. On Father's Day, a lot of, sometimes I think about how the men in my life have, have said, uh, you know, if I'm asking questions about something, that's a need-to-know basis and you don't need to know. You know? I think God knew that this was a need-to-know basis, this manna thing. And at that moment, they didn't need to know until <laughs> they were in the desert. Hey, by the way, you're eating manna for 40 years. I think it's telling that if, we, if they had had the full story, if we had been in their position, had the full story, I'm not sure where we would have gotten through it. You mean I'm going to be stuck out there for 40 years eating manna? I don't know that I would have gone through with it. I probably would have chosen comfort in the bad known versus the good that was risky, that was going to ask something of me. On this Father's Day, I want to close with this thought and send you with this, this concept of God. This is a Sabbath day of rest, and 
talked about asking the important questions. When we ask the question of who God is, this is who God is. God is a, is a loving parent. And on Father's Day, God is a loving father um, who does see the whole story, has seen the whole story from the beginning. In the church, we say that God is omniscient, right? It means that God can see all things at once. And God looked at our story, the human story, and even our individual stories. Every person in this room, God looked at every one of those stories. And God saw our mess. And God saw our mistakes. And God saw our sin. And and God saw our unrighteousness. And God saw the evil that we were capable of doing. and, And God saw all of the nastiness. And God said, it's still worth it. These people are still worth it. God saw himself up on a cross and us bashing nails in, and God said, it's still worth it. It's still worth it. God saw his own story of of, of being in the wilderness and, and his own version of manna for 40 years, and God said, it's still worth it. It's still worth it. Because God knew that there was something great worth risking for. There was a people worth risking for. There was children worth risking for. Every single person in this room is a child of God, and God has risked everything for you. So I hope that you go home and you find some rest. I hope that you go home and and you find even 15 minutes. If you have to, it is Father's Day, if you have to lock the bathroom door and say, no one's allowed to come in the bathroom, right? Give yourself 15 minutes. And think about what it means to serve a God, a father God, who meets us in our positions of survival, who meets us in our complaining, who says, I understand that some days you just need to get through the day. A God who saw your entire story and all the bumps and bruises, you're lashing out at God, you're screaming at God. And God said it was worth risking everything for. You were worth risking everything for. You were worth dying for. You were worth suffering for. You were worth everything for. And if you rest and reflect on that truth, I wonder how that doesn't change the way you survive this next week. It's going to change the way I survive this next week. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the story of your people, Israel, who wandered in a desert, who suffered and complained, but who were met by your grace and your mercy and and your love, who learned what it meant to be thankful for even the gift of an extra portion of manna, who learned how to rest even when the future was so uncertain and the present was so hard. God, we pause and give you thanks this day. We do count our blessings. And they might not always be grand. They might not always be majestic. Sometimes they are so simple. And they just help us get through the day. God, we ask that you would grant us a spirit of gratitude that turns into a spirit of love, not only for ourselves, not only for you, but yes, also for our neighbors. Let us meet others who are in the wilderness 
were in deserts, both literal and figurative, who need someone to help them get through the day, let us be that person. Let us extend your grace and your love and your mercy as we attempt to be your people. We give thanks to you. It's in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.